You're listening to We Can Do This, a podcast by the National Consumers League. We talk through the issues of today with the figures who have paved the way for social and economic reforms and those carrying on the fight for an equitable tomorrow. Leading today's conversation is Reed Mackey, Director of Child Labor Issues and Coordinator of the Child Labor Coalition at the National Consumers League. I'm very, very pleased to be here with an old friend uh, and a partner of ours for for um, more than two decades, Kailash Satyarthi, the Nobel Peace Prize laureate from 2014. Uh, Kailash, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Reed. It's nice to be with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I wanted to start with maybe um, letting folks learn a little bit about how you connected to these issues. What, what drove you to want to help children? Well... <clears throat> The first spark about this came to me when I was five and a half year old, and that was the first day of my schooling. So when I was uh, entering uh, through my school gate, I saw a cobbler boy my age sitting outside the school gate along with his father. And I could never forget that he was looking at our feet, not at us. I I. I, I was thinking that why he was not with the rest of us uh, to go to school. And the first question I asked to my teacher was this, Sir, why a boy is sitting outside and not with us? And he said, calm down, this is not uncommon. Poor children have to help the families, they have to work and, and so on. Make new friends, this is your first day. I said, okay. So when I went back, I was still thinking and I saw the boy under the open sky, outside. And then I asked my parents, my friends, and they all tried to convince me that don't be uh, so concerned, it's quite common thing. I might have been convinced, but every day I saw the boy looking at us for shoe shine or shoe repair, and we were all wearing new shoes, so there was no question of any shoe repair. So he was always empty in his eyes, on his face, one day I gathered my courage and straight asked to him and his father, why don't you go to school? Why was shy? But father answered that, uh, he said, I never thought about it because my father, my grandfather, and I started working since we were children. And so is my son, he said. And then he took a pause. And then with... Uh, miserable eyes and and, and uh, voice. He said, Sir, uh, you guys are born to go to school. We are born to work. And it was such a shock for me, Reed. How some children are born to work? Why? It should not be true because we are all equal human beings. So as a child, five and a half year old child, I could not accept it. And I started crying in anger. But that had given me a new perspective of life that whatever the parents say or teachers say or the wise experienced adult people say may not be correct, may not be true. Because it is a it's a mindset issue, it's a complacency which goes from generations to generations. And I refused to accept it. 
that it should go on. But as a child, I could not do. I could not think more. And uh, but I grew up with that that fire inside me. So I started helping some poor children. Um, but I was not satisfied that how many books, old books, I can collect to distribute to poor children, or how much money we can collect to pay the fee of children. So, but most of the children who dropped out from schools, my friends, they uh, they joined workforce somewhere as child laborers. So it was so deep in my heart. Uh, my parents wanted to make me engineer. I did engineering. I taught in the university, but. I followed my my heart uh, and my passion, and one day I gave up my career to work for this cause. And the most difficult thing, Reed, was that nobody was knowing about it. Nobody was talking about it. India did not have any laws. There was nothing like UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. There was no ILO program, no government running any program anywhere in the world against child labor. Uh, so it was very, very tough in 70s and 80s. So I started in uh, 1981 uh, by directly freeing children from slavery. And how, how did your parents react to your abandoning your, your career? Oh, I, I, I tell you that um, uh, I, I was born in a modest family, though we were not poor, but neither rich. So my father passed away. He was a policeman. Uh, ordinary police constable. He passed away when I was young, so my mother was a widow, and she had to sell her ornaments for my higher studies and engineering. So with a lot of expectation that I'm going to have one of the brightest careers and most lucrative careers. But um, when I gave up, uh, my friends laughed at me. They made a mockery of me because they could not understand what I was talking about. And my mother also said that I can sell my house and anything to uh, to start in, uh, if you want to start an orphanage or a children for poor a school for poor children uh, because she could not understand that I was talking about a systemic problem being a system engineer that this is not simply the matter of charity or pity for poor children it's a matter of challenging. Uh, the set economic exploitative patterns and the mindset and the political apathy and so on. So it was quite tough. They, my mother cried. My brothers, elder brothers were very unhappy. My friends were unhappy. Mm -hmm. So it was tough. And it's your work uh, implicitly was uh, attacking the caste system in India, right? Um, do, do you think that, that um, we can solve child labor without... Uh, deconstructing the caste system? Well, uh, this this caste, a kind of social hierarchy or social apartheid, I would say, still goes on. Mm -hmm. But that was so cruel uh, 50 years ago, half a century ago. And uh, when I started uh, freeing children, I found that most of the child laborers belong to that caste. So uh, in my own case, I gave up the whole caste system in my life when I was 15 year old, and um, there was that was the story of changing my name also. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, uh, the country was, or the whole world was, celebrating Mahatma Gandhi's birth uh, centenary in 1969, and I was 15 year old that time. So I 
heard the speeches of Gandhians and politicians against untouchability and this this kind of discrimination, social discrimination, cultural discrimination. So I was very influenced by them. And I tell you that I wanted to become a politician like them because my parents belonged uh, to highest caste, uh, the, uh, the, the Brahmin caste, and they were practicing untouchability. Um, the so-called untouchable people were not allowed to enter to our home. Uh, even nobody touches them, and some uh, food, uh, grain, or fruits are thrown in their basket from outside. Things like that I was um, watching. And then uh, I convened a uh, a feast uh, inviting the untouchable women to cook, uh, believing that these uh, anti uh, untouchability political leaders will definitely come and eat and it will set an example for everyone. But I tell you that none of them turn up and uh, it was so hard because I did hiddenly from my, my family so I, I did it in a Gandhi park. So only five of my friends and I agreed to to eat food which was cooked by them in the middle of the night. But when I went back home, I found that the high caste people were fighting my family and they were threatening to outcast them uh, and boycott uh, socially. And my mother was pleading, my brothers were pleading, uh, and they all scolded me. Uh, I said, no, I did not do any mistake. I did not do anything wrong because we, we uh, put filth uh, outside and uh, in the open open latrines, and these are the people who uh, who clean them up. And not only that, they 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 carry all these filth on their head in the basket, take away because there were no uh, proper toilets those days in my town. So finally, they said that Kailash has to go to River Ganges to wash of wash away the sin and take holy dip and come back and. Uh, organize a feast of 101 uh, priests, Brahmins, and he has to wash um, his feet and then drink that water. So as I was more furious, I tell you, I, how, how could it be possible? I said, this is nonsense. I'm not going to accept it. And finally, they outcasted me that day. But I had, and a separate room was given um, outside my my uh, courtyard and my food was given in different utensils in my room. I was youngest though in my family so most adorable for my mother and I was not allowed to go inside the eating area uh, for years and I had to live like that but the same night I was so angry and I'm in pain and I decided that I should give up all the caste system in my life so the best way to change the family name or surname that is normally the caste name. So I gave up that name and I looked for a new name to myself and after a while, uh, I could not do it legally though those days uh, when I was 15. So when I was 18 plus, uh, legally I could change my name. So I gave a new name to myself and that is Satyarthi. Satyarthi means seeker of truth or student of truth. Wow. So I, I, I challenged wow. the caste system and I, I kept on challenging. But that was very helpful in my fight against child labor and child slavery in the rest of my life. Wow. What a start. I, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. Um, before we talk about your specific work to, to help children, 
Could you provide like a 30-second or one-minute overview of the problem of child labor in the world right now? Well, um, you know and I know for so many years that what an irony that we are still talking about those 152 million children who are trapped somewhere in child labor today when we are talking here and and uh, my audience are listening to us. So it's it's shameful situation that on one hand we have conquered Mars, we are so fast in internet and everything, but we are not able to reach out those children who are trapped in mining, uh, stone quarries, uh, brick kilns, small factories, um, producing goods for people like us, and um, construction industry, farm workers everywhere, including in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a serious problem. I mean, yes. they are handling uh, all kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, toxic materials, chemicals, and their number is the largest, the farm workers' children. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is the situation. Though we have international law and treaty, we have national laws in many countries, not everywhere, like we don't have a specific law uh, to prohibit um, uh, the child labor in farming here and in most parts of the world. But uh, enforcement of those laws uh, needs a lot of political will and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. And we need more more political will. Yeah, of yeah. course. Of yeah. course. Yeah. And the social effort, I would yeah. say. So you were a young man. And you saw. I'm. I'm still a young man. You are still a young man. <laughs> yeah. You're definitely young at heart. I know you. I know you very, very well, and I've witnessed that myself. The age does not matter much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you saw children being exploited, and you saw children suffering, and a lot of people saw that and did nothing. Um, but you decided to act and begin rescuing children. Uh, could you walk me through that thought process what you, when you decided to do something that no one else was doing? Well, I, I frankly speaking, Reed, I, I had no, uh, no clue that those, those days, no clue what to do, how to do. I was against many odds. I was, um, I was determined that Something is wrong. This is denial of human dignity and human freedom, and that is unacceptable. That I knew. But since nobody was doing, nothing has been written, no institution was active, so it was impossible to think. And uh, and on the other hand, most people thought that slavery has been abolished 100 years ago. Like here, the proclamation of abolition of slavery has solved the problem. People thought like that in India, too being the largest democracy of the world. But I was not convinced. So um, I started writing in newspapers about these things, and not just on this, but child marriages or exploitation of women and children, other marginalized uh, and uh, left out communities. So there was a limit. Newspapers cannot publish articles all the time on it, uh, editorial op-eds. So finally, I started my own magazine. And one day, a desperate father knocked my door who who was a slave for 17 years along with his family. He and his newly married wife were lured away to work at a brick kiln 
that was about uh, 4 500 uh, kilometers or maybe 300 miles away from from his home village and then uh, they were not allowed to leave that place no wages nothing and all children were born and grew up there so he was in desperation when he learned that his uh, 15 year old daughter was about to be sold to a brothel and he somehow jumped into a brick loaded truck in the middle of the night and left uh, for some help uh, so coincidentally he met uh, a person who was subscriber of my magazine in the capital town of that state and keeping an old copy of my journal he came all the way to delhi and in, and when i was listening to him i i forgot to continue writing the story because i started thinking is if she was my daughter or my sister what would i do i will hold the whole world upside down i'm not going to to just write and wait that government department or police will read this and then they will act it act on it so i told him his he was a muslim guy his name was wasal khan and i said wasal i'm not going to write any more i'm going to rescue your daughter he said no no sir these people are mafia they are very powerful criminals having guns i said whatever happens if she was my sister and i was 26 year old so i i went back to my home took him along uh, that time after giving up my career and i moved to delhi and running this magazine uh, my wife sumedha and my son bhuvan one year old living in a small storeroom of someone's apartment outside and that was hardly 8 feet by 10 feet room so when wasal khan the the guy uh, with me came uh, we provided him food but he was shocked he thought that i could not help him i i'm i'm poor so i somehow convinced my wife convinced and i requested sumedha to um, to give her wedding ornaments so that um, we can do all the homework and uh, and and uh, and find some logistics like uh, a car to go there and uh, a truck because he said that there are more than 30 people enslaved like him from his village so i convinced some of my friends and we went there and so we were beaten up there all the people who were about to be freed they were all loaded into the truck they were thrown away elderly women were crying and there was big havoc and children were thrown uh, literally from the truck and including this girl 15 year old sabo was her name so we had to come back uh, empty hands um, it was a failure and uh, torn clothes barefooted injured bodies but not injured soul <laughs> not empty heart i started thinking that there should be some way out and i met some of my lawyer friends in delhi and they have helped to approach the court under a, an old british uh, law uh, that was habeas corpus so we went there and within few days um all these children women and men were freed with the help of court and there were 36 um and it was quite quite i cannot explain um you read in words uh, 
because when these children were who were born and grew up in slavery and uh, started working since very early childhood in, at brickens and that was highly highly uh, hazardous for them and uh, they could not comprehend freedom but they could see something different so they were jumping on the streets as you put um, uh, some frogs in a bucket and suddenly open the cover and they they just jump here and there so they were jumping and the smile of freedom appeared on their faces and the mothers who were trying to hold their hands and crying out of joy um to to understand that they are free now was such an experience I, I, and um then since then i never looked back and i i decided <laughs> that now i have found my path in 2004 and that was in ni- 1981 22nd mm. of March 1981. Wow, that's a while ago. Yeah. And 2004, you were badly beaten trying to rescue some girls from a circus. Could you talk about that for a, a moment or two? Yeah, some parents approached me whose children were trafficked from Nepal to work um, in a circus in India. So when we started searching for them, uh, there was no circus of this name because they have been sold to other circus and the other circus has also changed the name so it was very complicated but then i learned that this person circus owner was a drug mafia as well as the small arm smuggler uh, from that corner of um, india nepal china and, and bangladesh so uh, we went to rescue them uh, we were taken away inside uh, smoothly by the circus owner and uh, i i could smell something because it is not so common that they will take inside i understood at least that the children might have been taken away all the girls and then um, as soon as we entered into the circus which is like a fortress uh, you cannot easily go there it is fenced and with electrical wires so there's no way to to leave once you enter inside and then suddenly they started shouting on on me and my colleagues and the police was connived with them magistrate was present there was magistrate was also um, bribed already and he was supporting them and they all said that there's no child laborer here no child slave here why why are you why did you enter this place illegally and this is um, this is um, this is a crime and uh, they started uh, shouting and the man took out the gun and put on my head he was he was shouting and un- un- tremendous anger uh, he could have done it it's a matter of fraction of seconds but the police officer was watching it and he stopped him not to protect me he said oh sir what are you doing this is the camera is running uh, there was a video camera of a channel one of the india's leading channels uh, aaj tak hindi channel its name is aaj tak so he said look you are creating evidence what are you doing sir so he looked at the camera and he jumped into the uh, that man cameraman and started beating him so but he ordered his people to kill me and my colleagues and uh, they attacked uh, badly with iron rods and everything um, so my left foot was broken my right shoulder was broken i had serious injuries in the in the head and i was uh, bleeding badly and my son who went for the first time bhuvan uh, as a lawyer and i took him to 
to help me with some legal things because it was a complicated matter. The children were trafficked from Nepal and living living in India as child laborers, child slaves. So it was little difficult. But he was also beaten up badly, and one of my colleagues. So three of us were lying on the streets um, in the pool of blood, and um, then the bypassers um, took us in, in in their car. There was a journalist who took us in the car and uh, taken to to a hospital and um, then um, I decided that I'm not going to drink or eat anything until all these girls who were already removed from that place are recovered. So doctors and everybody convinced me that no, it's not possible. You had a heavy blood loss, but I was determined. So I sat on the hunger fast and six years time my kidney started failing. So it was uh, another complication. And my son had serious injuries in his ribs and uh, his lumbar two and number three, and he was lying on bed. And uh, and my daughter started getting threat calls. She was alone in Delhi because my wife, Sumedha, has rushed to, uh, rushed to the place where this happened uh, in Uttar Pradesh. Uh, so um, it was a big, big event, issue. But thanks to the people like Senator Harkin, when I was still uh, in the hospital the very first day, in two or three hours, he came to know because my people sent out the message and he called me up and he said, Kalas, don't worry, I'm there and I'm going to call Indian ambassador, I'm going to, um, to talk to other senators and congressmen. And in a day, they have been, his office had been able to galvanized support of almost 40 uh, congressmen and women uh, demanding safety for my life because they said he's not just an Indian citizen, he's a global citizen, he works for American children and children of the world, so we all are there. And uh, uh, some uh, communique was issued to uh, uh, to um, American embassy in India to monitor the situation uh, 24-7 and senior officers rushed to that place to watch that situation. On the other hand, the National Human Rights Commission of India took it up very seriously and they sent their senior judges. So high court has taken the note of it, though after six days I was hospitalized forcibly and um, given injections and things like that. Then um, with the intervention of court, within a few days, 24 girls were freed. We, though we went to rescue only, 40, uh, only 12 girls because their parents were with us, but double than that were freed. And um, it, was, it was a great success. And one of the girls, Reed, I will tell you, told me later that um, when I was talking to other girls that uh, uh, now you are free, you will go back home in Nepal and we will make sure that you are you go to school back and uh, and uh, you can live a normal life and a girl who who was sitting at the distance um, 14 15 year old girl he hated man he does not want to see a man so her mother uh, so she did not want to see a man so her mother told that she has been multiply raped and uh, abused and so on so she she does not like any man but 
then i slowly i i did not speak to her i did not insisted her to do anything so after a while she came from the back taking the full round and put her uh, hand on my shoulder i had that touch and 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 then she almost shouted angrily she said you say that we can go to school we are still children i'm not a child i'm not a child so i i hugged her and i said and kissed her that i said my daughter you are still a child you are 14 year old how could it be uh and then she hugged me like anything embracing for several minutes and cried badly so i found that her childhood had come back and uh then we fought in the court in the supreme court also and the child labor in in uh circus industry is completely prohibited now nobody can employ child laborer in any form in circus industry wow that's a great outcome yeah i'm so happy that those girls are rescued you mentioned senator harkin and he became our champion for child labor issues and developed a funding sources for child labor and that led to programs that the department of labor operates around the world to reduce child labor how um did your relationship with senator harkin develop and how did you help him to understand the scope of the problem well i i i was talking with him yesterday we had a good uh, uh lunch and um he is like my elder brother and uh, an elderly person in my family so my children my wife everybody loves him and respects him like my elder brother so i met him for the first time we were discussing with him yesterday what was the first day it was in 1991 um i i was introduced by um, a, a, a us uh, embassy officer uh, in india and he told that you are fighting for this cause in india and you need some some person to help you um though he is not working on child labor he but he he is very active on disability issue he is very active on farm workers issue but he was the uh, he 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 was the part of um, the, uh martin luther king junior's movement and he participated in it and so on so he is a great guy so i set up an appointment when i was coming to us for something else i met with him in his office and uh, this was a formal 15 minutes meeting but that went on for more than an hour and uh, we have fallen in love with each other and he <laughs> said no kalas you cannot go now and he was telling his his uh, his staff no 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 i wanted to continue and uh, then the next day or the third day he gave a full speech in in the senate about me he gave a full speech this is on record and he said i wanted to put it on record that he 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 was he was so great he was so uh, so humble he saintly man and he credited that an indian activist inspired me to work on this issue for all my life and um, i was so amazed that how how did it it can trigger like that because he was already a great guy and um always my ally and uh, we worked very closely uh, uh during the formation of uh, ipac program the ipac came very late i mean after two or three years of after our meeting and um germany was the first country to support ipac but uh, 
with the help of Senator Harkin, it was possible that America became the biggest supporter of ILO, IPI program. Uh, so the ILAB, um, and there were times when um, they were, uh, I mean, there was serious threat uh, to the funding to ILAB, similarly to other international programs, including ILO. But uh, Senator Harkin and I worked together and found some ways how to continue this funding, and we have to support all the programs in the world to fight child labor. Uh, so it was like that, always, always. He was also champion when we organized the Global March Against Child Labor. Um, he, he strongly spoke and uh, even um, uh, gathered the support from President Clinton, uh, and President Clinton supported the march and joined. And then uh, uh, Senator Harkin was also one of the key architects here of my initiative, Rugmark, which is now known as Goodweave. So um, he was convinced he has given several speeches in the Senate later on about the Rugmark also, that this is some idea he liked and he wanted to continue um, and so on. When I was attacked in this circus issue and my daughter was in serious threat, Senator Harkin called my wife, my daughter and my son that they should stay here uh, in Iowa for few months or few years. My wife and son did not agree, though my son came for a few days. But somehow, uh, Senator Harkin convinced us that at least the daughter who was youngest and most vulnerable, and she she was threatened uh, with the same consequences of uh, rape and killing in, uh, as happened in other circus girls. So um, we, we agreed and we made uh, our daughter, Asmita, agree. So she stayed in Iowa for about four years and also worked here at the Hills with uh, Senator Harkin as an intern. And uh, so that was a great history with him. He's a, he's a remarkable man. I recall that we had a um, conference that he his staff organized on child labor, and we brought in a 10-year-old farm worker child from, from Texas, um, and he was going to testify about his experiences working in the field. But the boy was so young and so nervous that when we asked him, you know, what were, what were the conditions like, he answered everything in, you know, one syllable, or bad. Um, how, you know, how did it make you feel? Uh, bad, you know. <laughs> and um, it, so it didn't quite work the way we had hoped. But Harkin, at the end of that, uh, at the end of that panel, he went to the boy and said, have you seen Washington, D.C. yet? And the boy said no. And Tom Harkin took him for three hours all around the city. And gave him a tour of the Capitol, and and it, you know it was remarkable. Yeah. A U.S. senator to take that kind of time for for a, yeah. a small child. You mentioned carpets, and carpets are an interesting sector because there's been a lot of progress in in the carpet sector in India. Could you could you talk about that for a second? Not only in India, but also across the world, but mainly in South Asia, which mm-hmm. produces the largest uh, quantity of carpets in the world, in Pakistan, Nepal as well. So, um, when we launched Carpet Consumers Campaign in 1990 uh, in Germany and Europe and later on supported by, uh, by many organizations, Child Labor Coalition was definitely on the forefront and International Labor Right Fund at that time, now it's International Labor Right Forum, um, with Ferris Harvey and uh, definitely uh, National Consumers League was one, one of the one of our first partners. So 
and uh, then uh, FLCIO solidarity center organizations like that uh, teachers unions both NEA and uh, AFT so we were able to 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 strongly launch this campaign to educate consumers with a demand that they should ask for child labor free carpets as a result of the pressure generated from the consumers on all companies importers uh, in in the western world importing countries and also the exporters manufacturers in uh, source countries were under tremendous pressure so um this has helped in uh, reduction of child labor but of course we have to introduce a proper monitoring mechanism it is a social voluntary uh, mechanism uh, and it is monitored and controlled by a multi stakeholder group earlier uh, named as rugmark and now we know it as goodweave so uh, goodweave made a lot lots of progress and um, then us department of labor did a study i think in mid Uh, late 90s and uh, it was a big revelation that at least 1 million children were working there in child labor and most of them were child slaves or child uh, trafficking victims but the same source did other studies and other sources did the studies and we we are so proud to say that in less than 20 years time the number has decreased from 1 million to hardly 200000 even less in the whole south asian region india pakistan and nepal but most important thing read is that not only child labor reduced but in place of children adult people were able to find the jobs and that has always been my argument without any study before but of course as an engineer i could think that there is a correlation between child labor and adult unemployment and also uh, someone who was freeing children and talking to family members back in 80s and found that uh, their parents are jobless and the children are preferred being the cheapest source of labor so i started advocating that there is a chicken and egg relationship between child labor and adult poverty or adult unemployment later on ilo picked it up the world bank picked it up other picked it up and they started doing more Uh, scientific uh, studies and um, then uh, we brought another dimension of education that children if such a large number of children are working then uh, not only adults will remain jobless or their parents could be those adults but also the children will be denied education which is the key for 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 any kind of social justice economic justice growth poverty reduction and whatever so Uh, we did a very successful experiment in carpet industry in replacing children by able bodied adults and many of these adults are the parents or brothers sisters of these children mm-hmm. so we have been able to create through this process at least 800000 jobs for adult people in place of 800000 children who were withdrawn from child labor and there there were um criticisms that the industry couldn't survive without children but clearly it it can and it and it's yeah, thriving of course it is yeah. thriving and yeah. it is not just criticism it is they considered me as enemy and there were intelligence reports from germany from india from america that i could be assassinated in any any of these places because importers exporters the whole 
स्ट्रॉन्ग इंडस्ट्री फेल्ड दैट कैलाश सत्यार्थी इज द एनिमी नंबर वन एंड लेटर ऑन वेन सीनेटर हार्किन इंट्रोड्यूस द बिल टू स्टॉप द इम्पोर्ट ऑफ गुड्स प्रोड्यूस्ड बाई चिल्ड्रन इन इन बांग्लादेश स्पेशली द गारमेंट इंडस्ट्री एंड लेटर ऑन द कारपेट इंडस्ट्री दो दिस बिल डिड नॉट गो थ्रू बट सीनेटर हार्किन वॉज अगेन द पोलिटिकल एनिमी फॉर एवरी कंट्री एंड and and it was it was quite tough time we're working with uh representative engel now on um cocoa legislation to try to clean up the cocoa supply chain so we're hopeful that that will lead to to some real changes too yes uh, that's right yeah but when the king this uh, international cocoa initiative was formed i was one of uh, i was one of the founding board members and the part of this uh, protocol which has been signed with uh, Ivory Coast and Ghana and I remained there for about 10 years before mm-hmm. my Nobel prize mm-hmm. but I was the part of this whole uh, conversation right from the its inception when it this whole issue was exposed here in US that how children are enslaved and working as child laborers in cocoa industry and that is again I think it's about 20 years by now or f- definitely 15 years You you mentioned access to schools and I think that's been a that's been a huge problem with our trying to reduce child labor uh, there just aren't enough schools and and quality teachers and and um you've you've made the point that it wouldn't really cost that much to educate all of the world's out of school children of course it's again an irony I I I feel ashamed to talk about this thing again and again but this is an ugly truth that in many countries the number of soldiers is four to five times than the number of teachers i'm not talking about quality teachers their number is even minimal we have more bullets than books and toys in many of the uh, sub saharan african african countries and the countries who are war prone so this is one scenario but only 22 billion dollars additional money is needed to ensure education for every child in primary schooling 22 billion dollars and all together 39 billion dollars say 40 billion dollars annually for secondary education as well so if think of children below the age of 14 who are working as child laborer under the definition of in many countries and also the ILO uh, conventions definition on the minimum age of employment they require only 22 billion dollars additional money for education and what is this 22 billion dollar this is four and a half days of global military expenditure four and a half days i am just trying to bring the comparison what is our priority killing each other death bullets guns bombs nuclear bombs is it our priority or enlightening children empowering children with knowledge with information with education good quality education good quality teachers is important what is important so it is it's a statement a cruel statement of human civilization the growth of human civilization we have not able we have not been able to set our priority that life is our priority or death is our priority how can't we and this is growing growing unfortunately this war mongering and military expenditure is growing and we are not able to take uh, 22 billion dollars or 40 billion dollars altogether that is again seven uh, seven days 
one week of global military expenditure. But if you if you compare with the tobacco, mm. children are working in tobacco. Twelve-year-old child cannot consume tobacco legally. It's illegal in the U.S. In the U.S. In the U.S. I'm talking about U.S. And an eight-year-old child can work easily in tobacco fields. What is dangerous? So. Working there in these situations is much more dangerous. The dust, the chemicals, and all kind of things these children are consuming in the fields. So it's a question of priority, as I said, and that has to be set by all of us. We cannot keep it just ignoring it. We're almost out of time, um, but I wanted to ask you. Uh, you had great success in engaging large numbers of people in the in the campaign to reduce child labor. Um, you talked about the Global March Against Child Labor. Can you say a few words about your latest campaign, the 100 million campaign? Yes, I have strong faith in young people because they are still cleaner in their hearts. They are full with energy and enthusiasm and idealism. If you are not able to give them a purpose of life, a recognition, a respect, a dignity, for children who are well-off, I'm talking about the well-off children, if you are not able to give them respect and dignity and we are not able to create a space for them where they can wise out about their issues, which is not happening in most cases, and that is resulting in erosion of that idealism and growing you know, frustration or disillusionment with the systems, looking at the political trends uh, across the world, um, then where the, the, the fundamental value of democracy, plurality, humanity, uh, freedom is being, you know, eroded. So the young people, uh, people's mind affect in, in that direction and negatively. And that can, and that is already resulting in intolerance and violence among young people. That is well of children. So 100 million young people in the world are victims of violence, slavery, trafficking, child labor, worst forms of child labor, multiple child marriages, denial of education. On the other hand, we are so proud that 3 billion population of the world is below the age of 25. And 2.1 billion is below the age of 18. And they are not the problems. They should not be considered as problems. They are solutions. And their voices is most compelling and strongest and purest voices. So I launched a campaign called 100 million for 100 million. So 100 million young people in the world should be the spokesperson and champions and take the, the driving seat for a better world. And to begin with, those 100 million left out children. They should be the, the champions for them. So I'm so happy uh, that it is growing very fast. In last one and a half year, uh, more than 30 countries um, are working on it. Uh, millions of young people joined in India and all across the world, in, in at least in these 30 countries, uh, where we have launched the campaign officially. And that is being done with the strong support of the teachers' organizations, teachers' unions, basically, and the workers' unions, uh, NGOs. Uh, Interparliamentary Union. Interparliamentary Union is the uh, body of all parliaments of the world. So they are also our partners. So uh, we are building the partnership this time mainly with the student groups, youth organizations, and they are they are leading. Uh, so the March for Life, for example, against the gun lobby mm -hmm. in, in U.S., 
I supported. I joined actually in one of the marches in Florida. Uh, I know that uh, their idealism uh, cannot be wasted. Their anger uh, has to be channelized in in construction of a non-violent, peaceful America and the peaceful world. Are are you hopeful that the next Kailash Satyarthi will emerge from the campaign? Many, 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 many. Yes. Those who have taken the lead in March for Life, they are Kailash Satyarthi. I don't know them personally. They may not be knowing me personally, but I could. I feel so proud watching them on television or listening their names and so on. Kailash, it's been delightful to to chat with you about these issues. These they're very serious issues, but there is hopefulness. We've seen a lot of reduction in child labor, thanks largely to your efforts, and and we look forward to partnering with you in the in the years years to come. Thank you, thank you, and I I would I would tell young people especially then that this inertia has to go and this will go you should sit on the driving seat don't be frustrated in any time even in the dark times wise mentors don't remain silent because silence adds up to that darkness if we cannot enlighten a candle we should shout loudly that we believe in freedom we believe in democracy we believe in peace we believe in justice and young people should raise their voice thank you kailash Thanks for listening to We Can Do This, a production of the National Consumers League. We Can Do This is a member of the District Productive. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred podcast app. And hey, tell your friends about us. We love feedback, so give us a rating or review. You can also talk to us through the National Consumers League's Facebook page or on Twitter at NCL_Tweets. That's NCL underscore tweets. Still can't get enough? Visit nclnet.org. That's N-C-L-N-E-T dot O-R-G to learn about our rich history in fighting for consumers and workers' rights, our current leadership, our education and advocacy programs, and to discover ways for you to make a difference in the world. Remember, we can do this. Thank <laughs> you.